I always imagine the zero gravity toilet to be like an airline toilet. Like, you know, the warnings that you get, like, don't flush the toilet while you're sitting on it, otherwise your bollocks get sucked out. They died. Nightmare. Pleasure. <laughs> Niceness. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard, Leopard, Leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, the show that covers the entire Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Universe in alphabetical order. I'm Mark Stedman, and I hope the lifestyle thing comes together. I'm Danny Smith, and I prefer people to be puzzled rather than contemptuous. I'm John Hickman. If something very weird is happening, I want it to be happening to me. We're about to hit the Fs, but before we do, there's just one final E stop to make. The evil drone Boozerama is a bar Ford and Hot Black used to crash, pretending to be health inspectors. Have either of you had to eat uh, or drink in a place that's had a health warning? Danny's travelled to India, <laughs> so... I was just about to say, yeah, the whole of India. Um yeah, people say, oh, don't drink the water and don't eat salad that might have been washed in the water because then you'll get sick and then don't, um, don't do this and don't do that. And there's so many rules. I was, I was like, well, I'm inevitably going to forget to do one of those things anyway. Mm. And I might as well just get it over. And you're going to want some icing in your gin, aren't you? So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I just carried on as if it wasn't a disgusting place full of poo. Um, and ate and drank pretty much without with 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 gay abandon, um, and it was a good three or four weeks before I actually got the explosive vomiting and diarrhea that um, people warned me about. Now, Danny and I are both big fans of a particular book that has a lot to say on this matter of uh, choosing what you eat wisely when you're in the subcontinent. Danny, do you know what I'm talking? Do you know where I'm going with this one? Oh, I, are you I, experienced? Are you experienced, William Sutcliffe? I, William I keep, Sutcliffe. I keep on meaning to revisit that. Actually, yeah, it has. It has one of the most wonderful descriptions of um, how to put this politely, shitting your ring out that I've ever read. Um, it's uh, the the character does all the right things and eats all the right things, and then lets his guard down right at the end of the trip. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> And, um, he's, it, it's coming out of all ends and he's, and he's in a bathroom and it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a very colorful description, which you probably had in your mind, I think probably Dan, when you were in, uh, when you were in India, in India. And I had in my mind when I went to, um, Malaysia, Singapore, um, KL sort of, so around Southeast Asia. But, um, I totally, when we got there, it was on our honeymoon. We we uh, we were like, oh, we have to be careful, blah blah blah. And we just kind of walked down the street, walked into um, a, a not particularly clean looking place, and just started eating whatever was going. And then we were eating off of uh, little hand carts on the streets for all the holiday, and we were absolutely fine. Um, you know, you shouldn't really be going into something that doesn't look like it's had the uh, council health inspectors come in and do a five star rating yet. Um, and go, yeah, just, just literally put the food in dollops on a banana leaf. That seems like a thing that we should do. And we'll just, what is it? Is it, is it dairy and meat and eggs? Brilliant. Just bring it out. Um, um, but my friends who got married a month later, they went, uh, they honeymooned in Europe. Um, uh, where they didn't have their guard up and they had like epic food poisoning. And, um, I don't, I don't know what this, I don't know where this is going as a, as a cautionary tale, except for the fact that, um, I think if you, if you're eating things that people are eating, chances are you're okay. Um, but if you're eating on a, on a cruise ship in a captive audience, which is what they were doing, you probably 
more at risk than you are of, uh, of having a gin with a funny ice cube. Uh, two things. Mm. I, I, I think about this. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was bad. I was, uh, I, I was laid up in a bunk for a week, not doing much other oh than God. running to the toilet. Like, and it was, oh. it was a week. Um, I was completely took out. I can't even look at it because it, the last meal I had before it all kicked off was Pecora. Right. I can only just start saying the word pakora around now. I c- yeah, I couldn't even say it for uh, a long, long while. But even still, gives you the right mouth shape for puking, though, doesn't it? Pakora, pakora. Oh, oh, sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> but the not having to worry and constantly fret over every single thing that I'm going to put in my mouth. Mm. I'm not going to say it was worth it, but I'm just saying. The consequences of a like a, a heavy set, healthy thirty mm. year old that has access to clean water getting like explosive diarrhea mm. isn't as bad as it could be. So yeah, that and also I was a bit of a twat because I I decided that I was still gonna eat meat while I was in India. Right. And um the diet of most Indians isn't meat. Mm. Um, so they have no fucking clue how to cook it. That is actually what happens in Are You Experienced? He um, he stops uh, eating vegetarian um, because there's a, um, there's a moment of kind of Western opulent luxury that he has, and he, he has a hamburger, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's yeah. the moment where, uh, where, it all, where it all changes. Um, we've probably done too many spoilers now to do an audiobook <laughs> uh, ad, for, ad, ad for that one. And now let's get gassy. When mixing a pangalactic gargle blaster, one should allow four uh, litres of Thalian marsh gas to bubble through, quote, in memory of all those happy hikers who have died of pleasure in the marshes of failure. John Hickman, just what pleasures... I don't know why I said that like a, like a school mom, but John Hickman, just what pleasures await visitors to these marshes? I'm, I'm not sure how nice marshes are to go to, but isn't the draw of this place that the, the gas is hallucinogenic? So essentially the, 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 the literal answer, which isn't funny, is uh, hallucinations is what's going to take people there. Have I, have I understood the... Is that in the text or is that headcanon? Yeah, I think that might be headcanon. I am happy to accept that as headcanon. Doing, doing my, checking my working on this, I, I checked a couple of different websites that all refer to uh, hallucinogenic gases, but I couldn't find it in the text, so I assumed it was from the radio scripts. Hallucinogenics aren't always pleasurable, though. Let's let... Nope. <laughs> Sometimes they're a waking, unending nightmare. But then this does say that they died of pleasure. <laughs> Uh, so well, this is not a waking nightmare. Then they, they died of they died nightmare pleasure <laughs> niceness. So th- so this this is an interesting point. That then is that we we have somebody's headcanon has permeated into the, the supporting literature on this issue, and we don't we don't have a, 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 an easy an, an easy answer. Although it is an answer that makes a lot of simple sense. And now this. On Fenalla can be found the Buenelli Atoll, where Ford first started working at the guide, before the Richtenarkles and the Danquids vertled it. Fenella has rum that Ford remembered liking. Danny, have you ever worked for a publication that's been subsequently vertled? Do you remember the time I nearly vertled um, Created in Birmingham? Yes, I think I do. <laughs> 
Uh, shall I run through that particular sorry tale? Yeah, there was a, there was a legal vertling, I, I believe. Yeah, it was very very nearly a. Uh, it was their it was their first cease and desist order, right? Mm. So, um, so I was a sort of acquaintances with um, a local blogging celebrity in Birmingham called Pete Ashton, a lovely man that's doing some very very interesting art at the moment. I urge you to seek him out. Um, but he ran a art blog called Creating Birmingham and essentially he just went to shit and looked at it and reported back and went, this was interesting. And it got a massive, it got a massive following, um, and became a really essential, interesting tool to actually get into the art scene in Birmingham. Um, but he wanted to go on holiday for a couple of weeks, but he did want, he wanted to keep the posting up. So he put it out and said, does anybody want to do this? And um, I obviously said, yeah, yeah, no, it was a great opportunity. So I said this, so I, I, I went. The first event that I went, it was a, um, a pay to, well, they didn't describe it as pay to play, but it was a music competition. Um, and when I got to, when I got there, the gig was, gig was weird. Um, the person presenting it was supposed to count the votes but she did a really poor job of it, which meant, and these people were like, there was a big prize on the line and she was doing like a half-assed job of, of counting the votes and stuff. Um, and at one point, one of the amps um, of the people that were sponsoring the competition blew and set on fire. <laughs> and so did the second one. Actual fire is happening on stage at this point. Actual smoke and fire coming from the speakers. Um, so it was all a bit funny. Um, so, the, the band that that happened to, I happened to know um, the people in the band. So I spoke to them about it and they went, yeah, um, we'll never do this again because it was um, a really sketchy setup that you had to bring a certain amount of people and they all had to pay a certain amount. So they gave me a copy of the terms and conditions um, and I uh, I said all this in print um, on the website and um, posted like the actual verbatim terms and conditions as part of the post and then a couple of days later i was temping at the time and i got an email through on my phone during my break that said this is a cease and desist order we're suing you for slander and or, or libel or whatever the written one is libel probably yeah um and i was like oh i've broken crate in birmingham with the fir- uh, like on the first day so what do we think vertold means i i take it to mean a sort of um corporatization yeah <clears throat> because that's been the history of the guide i mean you you didn't answer the question wrong um it's just that you know like we, we can interpret that in any way we want um but like i i, I think of just because of the way ford thinks of the guide mm-hmm. he's very protective of a maybe a version of the guide that never really existed like a uh a halcyon days uh you know let's make make, make the guide great again um, I think, you know, maybe he, he's got this idea that when it all started, it was wine and roses and, and three hour or three day long lunch breaks. Well, you're describing then, Mark, is, is like he was a 90s enemy journalist who now finds himself working for shortlist. And now it's time to meet someone special. Fenchurch is the girl who came up with the idea to solve everything in a cafe in Rickmansworth. She is played by Jane Horrocks in the radio series, but John, since you're on record as fancying Fenchurch, you should get first dibs on casting her role in our hypothetical Netflix adaptation. So I've been been thinking about people who play well against Simon Pegg, 
who we know play well against Olympic. And there's there's some interesting Nick Frost <laughs> people come up there. Nick Frost is one of them uh, because you know we have been uh, changing the binaries around with our with our casting. No, Nick Frost isn't isn't on my list. I don't think it's a role for Jessica Hines because I think the Peg Hines dynamic doesn't work for this particular relationship. Um, Kate Ashfield, who played Liz in Shaun of the Dead. I was thinking of the, of the same person, but I didn't know her by name. Peg doesn't really have that many. Uh, he's not because he's not that sort of leading man. He hasn't really had any um, that many on screen relationships in films that I've seen, except for with Nick Frost. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and um, and with Jessica Hines, Jane right, Jane Horrocks could be a really good bit of casting. I'm not sure how they would work together, particularly because. Um, I think for it to work on screen, you could do with someone of a similar physicality to Peg. And he's not an overly big man, but Jane Horrocks is a very, very tiny actor. But there's an, act, there's an actor who I really, really like, who has a similar f- sort of facial range to uh, Jane Horrocks, similar facial shape. And that's Emily Mortimer. And she's about the same height as Peg and about the same age. So that might work quite well. Good actress. Who's, who's Emily Mortimer? What's she been in? Have you seen the newsroom? Yeah, but I can't remember one single person from it. I am on a bound because apparently I uh, I would put Alison Brie and everything to put Alison Brie into this. And two wild cards for you. They've got the similar height issue, I think, uh, that Horrocks has got. But I was just thinking of um, people who have been in uh, sci-fi who, uh, who I like, who could uh, do this character quite well because there's a certain... A certain vibe in the relationship between Arthur and Fenchurch, I think, which maps quite well to the Lister Kachansky relationship in some dimensions, even though Lister's a very different character. Mm. Um, so either Chloe Annette or Claire Grogan, but they're quite short as well. Okay. My first thought was uh, Lenora Critchlow from Being Human. And the white, white flag, white rabbit, or whatever it was, the Black Mirror episode. And then I was trying to think of somebody that could handle it a lot better, because I always get the impression that Fenchurch is is a lot more capable than um Arthur. Yeah, she she I think she drags him along by the elbows in in you know uh, in a sense. She she sort of gets him to America to go and meet Wonko the Sane um and and has no problem flying, no problem um as in you know actually flying and and uh, you know she's the adventurous type. So yeah, she's she's got a lot more agency I'd say than um, than Arthur has. So I was thinking uh Nina Sosanya uh, she was in a bunch of stuff. She was in an episode of too, but she was also in like the drama Silk. And I know her from uh, Nathan Barley as Sasha. I actually like her more as a Lintilla, which is not someone who appeared in the books, um, but she was a big fixture in um, in the in the radio series. She is the person that Arthur meets on Brontotol. Listeners who picked up this week's copy of the Radio Times will of course know that Brontitall was this week's secret word. And the prize is a free audiobook and the chance to try out Audible's incredible selection of titles from best-selling authors. To claim this prize, simply jump up and down screaming I love Beware of the Leopard at the top of your lungs. Then go and shake the hand of the first person that turns to look in your direction and tell them to go to audibletrial.com slash leopard. And now it's time... To get weightless. 53 More Things to Do in Zero Gravity is a book that sold better than the guide. Danny, what are numbers one to three? Okay, right. My first reaction to this was like, fuck, obviously like, fuck, just all the fucking. Mm-hmm. But then I realised it was 53 more things to do in gravity. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so, well, it could be... That's already been done. Yeah, fuck would be in the things to do in Zero Gravity. Yes. That would be number one. Right. So I had to think of things that were... I don't know. Okay, if it's 53 more things, than this, then I've got to presume that the first book has got 53 things. So you're going from numbers 54 to 57. Um, which isn't as easy. <laughs> no. Um, so I came up with... Uh, okay. To get myself in the right headspace, I came up with three things that wouldn't be fun uh, to do zero gravity. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, number one that came to mind, Jenga. Yeah. <laughs> number two, haircuts. Okay. And number three, funerals. <laughs> I don't know. The, the funeral at the end of um, Star Trek Two was very... Very grand. Yeah, I mean, funerals are innately uh, dour affairs, and being in zero gravity are innately... I mean, great. Jolly. You know, so, uh, I, I th- they have gravitas. Yeah, <laughs> literal gravitas. So <laughs> Zero gravitas funerals. <laughs> but they do, I mean, they, they do make devices to fix a lot of these problems, don't they? Because they have like a zero gravity shower and... Um, and all those sorts of a zero gravity toilet. Yeah, I always, I always imagine the zero gravity toilet to be like, like an airline toilet. Like, you know, the, you know, the warnings that you get, like, don't flush the toilet while you're sitting on it, otherwise your bollocks get sucked out. I don't know if it's a recent invention, uh, of modern train travel, but I've been finding now if I, if I, you know, have to use the, the facilities in a, in a train or of a train, um, that I'm now finding once I've, once I've abluted, uh, I, I hit the button to make the stuff go away and it lingers for a few seconds and then the portals to hell open and it just gets sucked in at an incredible speed with, with a veracity that is hitherto unknown. Like it just, it's, it's like it's got to warm up. It's like, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. I'm getting, oh God. And then it just like, it, it sucks it in with with just this force. We're going back. To, we're going back to Star Trek, isn't it? It's like just that moment where it's like, um, I always have been and always will be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the airlock. The airlock's been uh, been opened, and it's just your your poo's being flushed out into space. You put your hand like vaguely up, as if you're saying goodbye. And then let it slowly draw itself down every time. Every time you say goodbye to that way. So, do you want to hear my top three? Uh, well, top fifty-four, fifty-five, and fifty-six. Is it more? More than you can know. Uh, number fifty-four. Number fifty-four. Payball. How fun would Payball be? Because not only could you, can you not kind of propel yourself in space, so you always have to kind of be thinking about what you're going to push yourself off with and like how you're going to get away from people um, in zero gravity. But when you get hit, you've also got the recoil of that because there's no real friction to stop you. Oh. So if you get hit in the shoulder, you're going to be spinning until you hit something. That's very cool. If you could, if you could have a massive, um, a big wacky warehouse or something where it's it's trampolines on every surface, uh, so you've got stuff to push off on. But even, even the, you know, the squirrely bits in wacky warehouses where it's like a, a, a den that you climb in with netting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And those mangles, you got to have those mangles. Um, like, yeah, I, I, actually, now I think I just want to go to a soft play centre. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 54, or, no, is this 55? This is 55. Number 55. A food fight. Excellent choice. How much fun would that be in zero gravity? Just Yeah, definitely. Like, a, a really good sort of custard pie, uh, uh, floating majestically through the air before it splats poetically on someone's face. And um, my last, my last suggestion, and, um, I hope you've been thinking of suggestions, Beck, is this is, uh, a bit underwhelming, but... Number 56. 
Lower your expectations. <laughs> Four-dimensional snooker. <laughs> you've 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 touched a a, a a part of my heart there. Um, so so, so yeah. snooker that happens in the air and like there are there are floating pockets and uh, yeah you, you have to do it uh, yeah in. I mean, I'd say that's three-dimensional as opposed to four, but unless time plays a plays a factor. Yeah, because the pocket will be coming back around to a different place because uh, you, when you kissed the edge of the pocket earlier on in the game, you sent it in a spin <laughs> around. Yeah, well, I, I, I wanted to say three-dimensional snooker, but snooker is already three-dimensional snooker. Uh, is it really, though? No, actually, it's four-dimensional snooker. No, it's four-dimensional because it happens in time. But everything yeah. happens in yeah, time. so, like, when uh, the things where like uh, 4D TV uh, or 4D yeah. cinema experiences where they actually mean the the chair will shake a bit and you might get... Or they've got a sprinkler. Yeah, you might get splashed. It's like, no, the fourth dimension is time. All, all movies happen in time. That's one of the most important dimensions of a film. So if anything, then the, then it's it's fifth dimensional because they make it smell of hot chocolate when the hot chocolate's being made in the Polar Express. That's what you're saying. Uh, and now this. Finlon is a Golga Frinchen documentary film director. He made a film about the indigenous peoples of Earth dying out and was planning on telling the story of the captain of the Bee Ark. John, as a media studies man, do you have any documentary tips? Is he on the Bee Ark because a documentary filmmaker isn't a useful member of society? Or is he an Aark person who's volunteered to go on the Bee Ark to document it? For the AARC people, so is he That's being a wonderful a, an exploitative filmmaker in the style of Benefit Street or something like that? Is he Channel Four Benefit Street, or is he um, the English bloke who goes and interviews Americans with the glasses? So yeah, so uh, I've written down Louis Theroux and I've written down Nick Nick Broomfield here. Um, that's, they're actually kind of a third category there. So we, we've got exploitative filmmaker. Yep, we've got. You're a rubbish individual, and you're on the on the BR. Yeah, or you've got a kind of a yeah a Louis Theroux type, which is which is a slightly different quality to it. Again, it's not exploitative. It is is John Ronson part of that category, or is he a subcategory? John Ronson is in the Theroux camp, I would say. I went aboard the Ark because they wanted to find out all about the Golga Frinchams. <laughs> So I posed as a as a dramatic film director, and I made a documentary about the captain. He says you're never alone with a rubber duck. <laughs> I would definitely put John Ronson on the BR. <laughs> so I always took it as um, like he's such a superfluous thing that he was meant to be on the BR, and, and like the BR is just them occupying themselves and. Like that's what like the natural extension of course of Beark would have a documentary filmmaker filming everything that they're doing for a documentary that no one's gonna watch. <laughs> yes. It's weird, like the whole joke of the Beark, it does he he sort of writes himself into a corner where he kind of um he he kind of cucks himself um in, in as much as he like he makes fun of telephone sanitizers, which is not a job. Let's face it, but he makes fun of this this made up job called a telephone sanitizer, and then has a whole species die out 
um because of a dirty telephone um so like he he has got this whole thing of oh these useless bunch of people oh it turns out maybe we needed some of them so yeah maybe you know maybe some of the decisions that went into deciding like or some of the factors that were deciding on who goes into the b arc or not maybe that wasn't a perfect system maybe there were some flaws it's a preemptive satire of the uh, early 2000s concept of the non-job which is is this thing that's that's used by kind of like libertarian style politicians, small state politicians, essentially, um, to 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 say that um, oh, there's all these people doing these these jobs. We don't we don't need them. We don't need telephone sanitizers. We don't need all the things that they said. Yeah, experts. Um, so it's it, I don't know if the idea of the non job actually existed in popular culture back then, or if Douglas was articulating something that was. Um, that was a, a kind of a, a meme that hadn't landed yet, um, and without being of the seventies, I don't think I'd ever, I'd ever really know that. But that's that's really what the BRK is, isn't it? It's all the non-job people. It's, it's all the media <laughs> studies lecturers like me. Yeah, um, I do have one bit of documentary advice that was passed on to me from somebody that was an actual. Um, he was a documentary photographer. I was unemployed when, uh, well, I've been unemployed a lot, actually, but um, the brief period where I was unemployed um, after I left university, I uh, I managed to rinse uh, the, the council to do as many courses as I possibly could, and one of them was a really good photography course. Um, and there was a documentary photographer that, um, that was teaching the course, and one of the things that I really got into was street photography. So basically, you stop people in the street, and you just uh, like you can do it stereotypically, but you can actually stop them and ask them to take the photograph and, and get them to pose for um, uh, photographs and, and whatnot. But one of the really great that like he looked at he looked at my day shooting, and one of the really great things he said is like, "Do you know everybody's work has so much more impact if you ask them not to smile." And so I went out the next day and everyone that I took a photograph of, I was like, do what you want and pose how you want, but don't smile. And I came back with some of the best photographs. Like, like I've still got them and they're still really good. And it's just this simple thing of don't smile. But the thing is now, whenever I watch any documentary or see any like um, street photographs, I've got that instruction that they told the person that they're like they're they're taking a photograph of or they're recording in my head and it's incredibly obvious that they're just going about their business trying really hard not to smile you can actually see in some people's faces that at the moment they'd quite like to smile but they've been instructed by the photographer not to smile to make their uh, photographs seem more authentic so there's this massive like uh, dissonance between like knowing that those people in the photographs want to smile, but the uh, but they've not been they've been told not to smile because if they were smiling it wouldn't be realistic. Well, before we leave you, I thought we could have a chat about modern sci-fi. Um, what are we enjoying at the moment, and what do you think has changed in the last forty years since we were introduced to the guide? Actually, as a as a as something to add to this, um, I don't know if it's necessarily sci-fi although there's there's an element to it but dan um you you hooked me into uh david wong's um futuristic violence in fancy suits oh did you read that and i am probably i don't know maybe half 
if not two thirds of the way in, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Isn't it, it wonderful? Um, I can tell you what I'm not enjoying. I'm not. I'm not enjoying uh, the um, post BBC Red Dwarf. Uh, run at all including the current season and i'm really not enjoying star trek space mushrooms have you seen the orville yes that's seth mcfarlane isn't it yeah yeah i've heard that i've heard it's okay is it is it is it a joke of a joke sci-fi uh, yes and no um it's it okay. it doesn't actually it it doesn't do a futurama in in terms of it doesn't make fun of sci-fi tropes it does play with them a bit but it uh it, it actually a lot of the sci-fi is reasonably legit mm. um it's just that because it's seth mcfarlane the jokes tend to be a bit obvious with red dwarf i'm getting to the stage where i'm i'm wondering if i i'm remembering it through rose tinted spectacles even when i'm re-watching it i have exactly that same and, problem with red dwarf and that m- maybe it wasn't ever very good yes. um one of one of the things that i thought was a, a core tenant of 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 red dwarf was about humanity and the spoilers, sorry, everybody, but the first episode ends with a bona fide established human getting shot dead for a joke payoff. And then everyone goes about their business and you're just like, well, that's not what Red Dwarf is supposed to do. That doesn't, that doesn't speak any truth about the, the story that was, that was established. You can't do that. And it, it, maybe it was always like this, but it feels more and more like it's always, um, a series of sketches that that jokes are being served by plots, not plots being served by jokes. The thing about modern sci-fi, if, we, if, we, if we're talking about modern sci-fi in general, is the fact that sci-fi is so mainstream now. Like, everything has a sci-fi element. Like, it's rare, unless it's period. Um, like, every, like because we're so okay with technology as well, even stuff that uh, would be considered hard sci-fi back in the 90s is now mainstream um mainstream media so uh books like the yeah black mirror is a drama i mean really it is sci-fi but it, it's sort of billed and it's presented as a drama even stuff like the martian the martian is mm. is incredibly hard sci-fi it is it is a mostly a hard science book about about potatoes yeah about yeah. terraforming mars but still, because we're so au fait with science now and, and technology and uh, being explained technology and being able to process that, that they're able to make uh, an involved character drama about uh, something that is, yeah, generally considered hard sci-fi. I've not, it's not a, a program that I've seen, but I've seen the, um, the film of, oh, Blimineck, I can't remember the name now, Limitless. Oh, yeah. And there's a, there's a TV show of this yes. now. Now, I'm, I'm basically about to crib something from another podcast, but it speaks to some of the things that you guys have just talked about. Apparently, the series of Limitless, uh, the concept of Limitless is there is a drug that can tap into the, um, the 90% of your brain or whatever percentage it is that you don't use. Which is a made up thing, yes. Yeah, and the, yes. And, th- and therefore make you become limitless. So it, it's, it's a sci fi concept. I shit you not. It's a comedy procedural about a guy that can take the drug and then remember all sorts of stuff and like main balloon animals about stuff. And just the, you know, the usual quirky genius. <laughs> But he's like the equivalent of a stoner. So in <laughs> okay. the in the movie, if he doesn't take TMZ, it turns him into like a drooling vegetable, and it's a really painful experience not to take it. And it's it talks about like you know it, there are themes about like addiction and and you know 
would you get would you get addicted to being better a person would you would that become a physical need would that become a, a yearning soul need like and then it just turns it into this fucking stoner comedy about a fucking procedure it gets me so cross like yeah it is so wasted it sounds a bit like house now you've the way you've <laughs> not even it. house because house has a tone to it that like it like house actually a addresses the issues of death and what it is to be a genius and what it is to be smarter than Rose around you. Does that bring you happiness? And this just turns it into a fucking sitcom where the character takes a pill and can remember shit better. They made the point on the, on the cultures podcast that the, there's a really problematic um, elephant in the room in terms of plot, which is that um, there are, there are people who deal in this drug and it's illegal, but essentially why are they being street level drug dealers when they can take this drug and they can invent anything that they want and become millionaires through some other scheme um, that wouldn't involve them being street level drug dealers. And uh, I, I experienced something similarly yesterday where a waiter in a curry house overheard somebody complaining about his daughter being constantly on the internet. And he went, hey, mate, don't like off the internet. I made 200 quid today, drop shipping through my eBay store. <laughs> and we looked at him and we were like, why the fuck are you in this restaurant that can take 100 people that's got one table of eight people waiting tables if you're literally making 200 pounds a day on the internet drop shipping and, and literally not doing anything that makes no sense don't slag off the internet don't slag off the internet mate and with that we have to say goodbye danny where can people find you and your wisdom online okay uh coming up to christmas uh you, you need a birthday uh not a birthday present you need a christmas present you might need a birthday <laughs> present i mean <laughs> you, you do if you're the virgin mary year. so there are people born in in december if there is a birthday or well, christmas minute, present mate. and they like funny books i did write one with uh another one of the co-presenters john bounds and Beware of the Leopard's Own, John Bounds. And if you do buy a book in the run-up to Christmas, we will send you a bunch of other um, DVD extras and uh, other interesting stuff to read that we have also written. Um, you can find that all on um, peerreview.co.uk. And if you want to check out my Twitter feed, it is uh, at Probably Drunk, and all the information is there. Um, so I've been characteristically modest during one of the segments. Um, I think I'm probably the only host of this show who's actually directed an hour long documentary. Um, so about 17 years ago, um, uh, with some other people, I put together a project and we made a, um, a historical documentary about the occupation of Guernsey in the Second World War. It's called In Tony's Footsteps. And I'll put a link in the show notes. It's uh, Tony with an I because he was German. Uh, in Tony's Footsteps.co.uk. Go there and find out more about that project if you like. And as Danny says, it's Christmas. Your dad likes historical DVDs. He loves a bit of the war. Go and get in one of those. Um, anything else you want, you can go to theplan.co.uk, which I'm going to be re- rebuilding this week as part of my homework for Thread. And you can hear all about that on uh, the next episode of Thread at thread.fm. Uh, well, that just about wraps it up for The Leopard. Do get in touch to share your thoughts. All the links you'll need are at btlpodcast.com, along with all of our past episodes and show notes. You can email us, feedback at btlpodcast.com, and you'll find the links to Twitter and Facebook at our website. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash leopard. And if you have enjoyed the show, do tell a friend, leave us a review, do something like that. Come on, be nice. We'll be back on Thursday, so until then, 
share and enjoy. an asshole you're an asshole <laughs> <laughs> was that literally something that they overdubbed on eddie murphy in the 80s when they put beverly hills cop on tv <laughs> forget you you asshole mother flipper peas and rice melon farmer yippee ki